We are so honored that you would take the time out of your week to listen to this week's message. We pray that you find it helpful and life-giving. If you would like more information on Hope Church, you can check us out at www.hopedelmarva.com. That's D-E-L-M-A-R-V-A.com. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Captain Jerry Curtis in 1965 led a search and rescue effort in North Vietnam. His search and rescue helicopter hovered over a group of trees where he knew downed F-105 pilot would be. He looked for Will Forby and they got the hoist around his waist. But just as they began to lift him up, the engine of the search and rescue helicopter was struck and they knew that they were in trouble and the helicopter was going down. Just as they hit the trees, the propellers on the helicopter flew off and while it softened their landing, they headed straight to the forest floor below. After assessing their injuries together, they realized that they needed to move out. The Vietnam were coming, the Vietnamese, they were gonna circle them. So they began to flee all together as a group. They ran and hid, but it was of no use and shortly they found themselves surrounded. They were captured. They were led away to the infamous prison camp, the Hanoi Hilton. Captain Curtis would spend more than a year in solitary confinement there before he went on to serve another six and a half years along with 591 other Naval and Air Force captives. His faith grew while he was there, he said. He said, my cell was a prayer closet. And I had time to pray and think about the future and my goals. I had time to think about my relationships with my family and with God. Faith became a way for those POWs to connect, but they were not allowed to talk or communicate. Singing was absolutely out of the question. So they devised an ingenious way of tapping to find out whether the cellmate next to them in confinement was an American. They would, they would tap out, shave and a haircut. And if the next person went, two bits. They knew. They knew it was an American. And they devised this tapping method to communicate. They had a, a graph, a five by five with the letters of the alphabet. And so they would tap once for A and twice for B. They would go row by row. Messages could be simple. Something like, are you okay? After being tortured for hours and hours, they would check on one another this way. Or it could be more complex. Sometimes they would tap out scriptures that they had learned in Sunday school and in church and memorized to encourage one another and strengthen one another. There were days and days where they would be tortured 12 days at a time trying to get any information. It was a very hard time. And their communication system, it infuriated the Vietnamese. 
So they began to try and decode it. And when they decoded it, it didn't stop them. So then they would move them from camp to camp, and that didn't stop them. They kept tapping and tapping and tapping, and they communicated. They would threaten solitary confinement, but still the men would tap. They would use beatings and torture, but still the men would tap. Communication never stopped. My name is Emma Adams. I'm a pastor here at Hope Church, and I'm so honored by the sacrifices of the men and women of our United States armed forces that serve across the globe. I think of my friend who served more tours in Afghanistan than I would ever care to remember. I think of my father and his service in the Navy, and my brother, and my brother-in-law. I think about them, and I give thanks to God on remembrance of them. Pray with me. Father, thank you so much for the bravery of these men and women who have served faithfully our country. Father, we thank you that we have a Father who understands sacrifice, we thank you that the ultimate sacrifice was made by Jesus Christ on the cross for my sin and for the sins of those who hear this message. Father, this morning as we turn our hearts to your word, would you help us to place it higher than our own? Help us to be transformed by your word. And we would ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we wrapped up our series, Dwell, and we talked about the value of community and learning the Bible together. I am so excited that groups are going to be launching back up again. It's going to be amazing to get together and study the Bible, drink good coffee, and hang out with you because it's not a group if there's not coffee, okay? I'm just saying that for the record. Captain Curtis knew the value of community and sharing scriptures our context, though, is vastly different from Captain Curtis. Many of us have never experienced the dark side of war or the pain of imprisonment. For the most part, we have every reason to be happy and content. I mean, gosh, we've lived better than most. Many of us have cars, and the last I knew the statistic was that if you have a car, you're in like a 7% bracket worldwide that actually has a car. Think about that for just a moment. We've lived so richly. Most of us have more than enough for our needs. Yet, it also goes without saying, as we survey social media and we survey the television and TikTok and Insta, that the world and America are largely discontent. Largely discontent. Given what we read and we see frequently, I would even go so far as to say that discontentment is communicated more prevalently than joy and gratitude. Everybody complaining about how long it took at Chick-fil-A to how rude somebody was at the post office or how their car broke down or their kids being a jerk. Guilty. 
right? We read about it. Most of the time when I read about it, I feel sad for them. And then I unfriend them. Because I don't need that in my life. <laughs> Amen, people? The problem we all face in our lives is that we chase happiness going from one thing to the next, searching for that one something that's going to truly satisfy us. When I get that, I will, right? If I just had better grades, if I just had better grades, mom and dad would approve and I would be a star in my school and things would be so much better. If I had that boyfriend or that girlfriend, my life would be so much better. I would feel loved and wanted and all of those things. Or if I just had that husband or that wife that I know God has for me out there somewhere. Or maybe if I just had the job, my dream job, the one I've always wanted, maybe if I could just have that child that my heart so longs for. I want to be a dad. I want to be a mom. And I know that if I just get this child, that everything's going to be right again. Or if I got accepted into that school, I know that everything's going to be great and I'll be happy. Or here's a big one. When I get that money, I will be happy because I'll be able to buy everything that I've always wanted and I'll be content. Time after time, however, we all experience that deep dissatisfaction that comes when we achieve, earn, get, marry, date, give birth to, get accepted into, and land the thing we thought would make us happy. Every single time. And this gets complicated in our lives when we live in fear. We are afraid of falling into poverty, of being hungry, of not being able to provide for ourselves or provide for our family. We are terrified, terrified that we won't be strong enough, good enough, good-looking enough, smart enough, skinny enough, wealthy enough. And this becomes a cycle. Maybe you've noticed it in your life that this has become a cycle of discontentment. We fear we don't have enough money. So what do we do? We chase jobs and education to get a better job. More money, more money. Let me get my education. I'm going to go get this degree program. I'm going to go into debt to get this degree program so I can get this job that I want, so I can make the money that I want, so I can be as happy as I want. And when I get all this, I'm going to be so happy. And then er, you get it. You get your stuff and you get the job and, and then you realize that you, you, you can afford the house now. Oh, oh, oh. But if you just gave a little bit more, like your realtor said, you could get the extra, extra in the house that you wanted, and you could just give them a little, little bit more. And so you go, okay, 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 I'm going to do that, because it'll pay off in the end, right? Just like the realtor said, no knock to realtors, but sometimes you guys stretch things just a little bit. And, and so you're overextended a little bit, and you're like, okay, that's okay. And then you come home one day, and you realize that the real thing that's going to make you really, really happy is somebody to put in that house with you. Oh, I got to get a spouse. All right. I'm going to go get a spouse. I got the house. I need the spouse. I got the house. I need the spouse. Let's go. So then you search and you find the one that you think is going to make you the happiest you've ever been in your entire life. They hot. They got a job. They smart. Let's go. So you woo them. Bless my life. This my boo. And you get this person in your life, you move them into your home, and then you realize 
that you're overextended, you paid too much for your wedding instead of investing in your future marriage, you invested in a wedding that doesn't last, and now you're spent, and you're in debt, and you're in a marriage, and you don't know what to do, so what do you do? The next logical thing, of course, you go get a side hustle, a side job, a part-time job, spend your spouse out to work too, so that you guys can cover the house that you overbought, the debt from your education that you got, and all of their debt too, so then you're chasing happy. You get more money, you get more money, and you spend more money. And then you think, I need kids. Kids will fulfill my entire life. Oh, and you feel fulfilled. Very fulfilled. More than filled. Overfilled. Oh my gosh, did you know how much diapers cost? And oh my gosh, these kids eat all the food. All of the food. All of it. And they don't leave you your snacks. Can I just get a survey here so I can make myself feel better for just a minute? Parents, parents in the room, would you just um, give me a hand raise if you hide snacks in your bedroom? See, yes, I knew I wasn't alone. I knew I wasn't alone because they eat the snacks. So now you've got a house full of kids, more debt than you could ever imagine, and you keep chasing what's next, trying to be happy. You keep chasing enough. And the truth is, is that enough is never enough if you don't trust. Enough is never enough if you don't trust. Saul of Tarsus was a man who had an amazing education by the most infamous Hebrew scholar of his time, Gamaliel. He sat at his feet and learned of him. He had the best education. He was, in fact, part of the Pharisees, and he was zealous for God. He was a go-getter for God. He was about that life, and he was so respected in the temple um, that he just had everything. He could walk in with his phylacteries and just know that the people were waiting for his great wisdom but he also knew about a sect of Jews called the Christian, the way. Well, these guys were saying that they didn't need phylacteries and robes and tassels. As a matter of fact, they said that Jesus gave them everything they needed, that he was enough. Well, Paul didn't believe it. As a Roman citizen, he had wealth and education and societal standing he had everything he needed, but he wasn't satisfied. He hated this offshoot of the Jewish faith. He hated them so much. They were a blight in his mind, and they must be eliminated. they got to go. So he would go from town to town with the leaders of the temple's approval, and he would rip Christians out of their homes, and he would take them out of the synagogues, and he would throw them in prison, or worse, he would approve of their being stoned. And he kept hunting Christians. One day, on the road to Damascus to hunt Christians there, the hunter became the hunted. And instead of finding Christians, Christ found him. He knocked that dude off his high, high horse, literally. <laughs> knocked him to the ground. And over the next few days and weeks, Saul was transformed by Christ and became Paul, the apostle Paul would now pursue people for Jesus Christ instead of because of Jesus Christ. 
This led him to plant a church in Philippi. I love church planters. Me and Paul, we uh, get it. We jive. I love it. And he planted this one right in Philippi. Get this, in a colony of retired Roman soldiers. Veterans. He planted the church for veterans. And these Philippians became Paul's friends and supporters throughout his life. They always wanted to make sure he had whatever he needed wherever he went. And when they heard that he was a prisoner in Rome, where they were from, they knew all about the system in Rome. They knew all about that life. They made sure to send him support and money so that he would have all of his needs provided for. Because back then, when you were in prison, they didn't provide you three squares. Mm -mm. They didn't give you clothes. You had to figure it out for yourself. And you better hope you had friends on the outside or you weren't going to get anything. And as a matter of fact, you were going to die pretty quick. But the Philippians made sure that Paul had everything he needed. So he wrote them a letter. And this is where we're going to step into. In Philippians 4, from a jail cell, he wrote this. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Paul said that he learned to be content whatever the circumstances. So how can we trust God and finally realize that enough is enough? How can we finally trust God and know that what he has, who he is, is enough for us? I've got three things I want to share with you this morning that are going to help you learn contentment. Remember last week we talked about the growth mindset and that we had to have a growth mindset? This is absolutely true about this too. You can learn to be content. The first point I want you to write down this morning, if you're taking notes, if not, I hope you memorize the screen. Take screenshots, get out your phone. I don't care what you do, just remember this. What you pursue will consume you. What you pursue will consume you. Paul pursued religion with a zealous fervor that nobody had seen the likes of. He achieved the finest religion, religious education. He went to the Harvard of Hebrew schools, man. He had it. He was respected and commended in his Pharisaic organization. He was the team leader for his church's dream team at rooting out this heretical sect known as Christians. He had the money and the connections. He pursued getting and doing enough, searching for contentment, and it was consuming his life. He was doggedly chasing Christians in pursuit of what he thought was right. And you and I have a long-standing history of doing the very same thing. Jeremiah records God's rebuke of the Israelites as they came into a period of trouble. You see, 
us, like the Israelites, we always like to search for whatever we think will make us happy, and then we place it on an altar in our lives, and we worship it, and we call it idolatry. Idolatry. Jeremiah records God's rebuke of the Israelites, and as I was studying with my girlfriends in our devotion this week, I came across this passage, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. God says to the Israelites, through Jeremiah the prophet, has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they are no gods at all, but my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. When we pursue promises instead of the promise maker, we create idols. When you pursue the promises of God, I, I want that, that sweet land flowing with milk and honey. God, I want all those blessings. But you forget that it is God who promised the blessings and you are chasing after the promises and forgetting the promise maker, you have made for yourself an idol and it will not hold water. And no matter how much water you pour in that bucket, it will never be enough. Never enough. When we pursue platforms over his presence, we create idols. I'm going to say that louder for the people in the back. When we pursue a platform, God, I need this. I need to be on this platform. I need this job at church. I need that. But you forget to pursue his presence. You are creating an idol. When we pursue pleasure over his purpose, we create an idol. We love to be comfortable. Guys, can I just tell you, as I wrote this week, there was a lot, a lot, a lot of repentance. Because I love my couch and my Snuggie and my Disney Plus and my teacup. I love my warm bed and my sleep. He said two sins. The first, forsaken me, the spring of living water. When you have your life hidden in Christ, when you are chasing God with everything that you have, you have a well of living water that's welling up from inside of you. But when you go chasing and pursuing other things, he says, two, idolatry, you create your own version of God. You create a God of stuff, of plenty, of food, of money. You create a God of power and platform and influence. You create a God of pleasure and comfort. And you will speak peace, peace, but there will never be no peace because God is not in it. I want to give you the antidote to all this. There's good news here. The antidote to pursuing the wrong thing is to put your trust in the right one. 
Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 has been a hallmark for my life. When I gave my life to Jesus that summer in 2000, my father gave me a study Bible, and in the front of it, he wrote, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. God is the only true and wise God. He alone is able to save you from the enemy. He alone is able to be with you in every time of trouble. He alone is your source. He alone is your provision. He is the breath in your lungs. Everything you have, God gave you by his kindness and grace and mercy. You can trust him. He's so trustworthy. He's worthy of all your trust. Don't lean into your own ways of getting by in the past. We all do it. We all have a default that we go back to, do we not? We'll be on track for a while with the Lord and we'll be reading our Bibles and praying and seeking God and then all of a sudden we kind of get derailed and all of a sudden we kind of let the world just kind of creep in and create briars and thorn bushes that block the path of getting back to God and we just kind of meander and we get lost and then we start worshiping things that we shouldn't. This passage reminds us to submit to him. Live a life pursuing God. Surrender to him and he will make a way where you didn't see one. He will straighten it out. He's got it. Enough, though, is never enough if you don't trust. God provides. Pursue him. Pursue him. The second point I want you to write down this morning as a reminder to yourself and what I've written to remind myself is what you practice will transform you. What you practice will transform you. We can all agree uh, that learning anything takes practice. Am I right, musicians? You didn't hop on that guitar day one, Charlie, did you? And hit that thing like, uh, you know, crazy good. No, it probably sounds like, twing, twang, twang, right? I know, because I have a kid who's learning guitar, and sometimes it definitely sounds like that. I did not start singing when I was a teenager, and it sounded amazing. Sounded pretty bad. Don't know how my youth leader let out and was like, you did so great. And I was like, thanks. And I'm pretty sure it wasn't that great. But God has taught us so much in this one letter that Paul wrote. Paul gives us the secret to being content by telling us that what we practice will transform us. He writes this earlier in Philippians 4, 6 through 9. He says, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Another translation renders this, will put a garrison around your heart and mind. So here's the first thing we need to do to practice so that we can be transformed into content people. Practice gratitude. You have to practice it. 
Present all your concerns to God fully in prayer. Yes, aloud when possible, with others as often as possible. One of the things in the Christian culture that is so wrong is that we don't pray together. When I pray, I want to hear my brother or my sister say, Amen. Yes, Lord. Please, God. Be together. I want to pray with you. But we've taken Christianity. We want to practice it alone in a vacuum. And God never intended for our faith to be in a vacuum. He never intended for us to pray by ourselves. As a matter of fact, when he taught us the Lord's Prayer, did he not say, Our Father who is in heaven. Our Father. That is a group activity of a prayer. Our Father. Go to God fully and as much as possible. But when you do go, take praise and thanksgiving with you and let it pave the way. You've heard me pray here probably sometimes if this is your first time. Um, I pray here all the time up front. And you'll often hear me start my prayers this way. I'll often start, Lord, thank you that you hear me when I pray. Thank you. But I can tell you when I practice prayer times with my husband or my kids or at home when I am by myself and it is a time of introspection, I start with gratitude. It's the first thing I write in my prayer journal is thanksgiving. And then I begin to list some things. I wanted to help you practice gratitude. So I wanted to give you a little bit of a help so that you can remember. It's really easy to remember if you've ever invited anybody or you've ever had to market anything. There's a really important, really important phrases that, that they taught us uh, when you're marketing something, when you're writing something. You should always know who, what, when, where, and how, right? Who, what, when, where, and how. This is also a writing guide for when you're writing a novel, right? Who, what, when, where, and how. This is also a great way to start practicing gratitude with God. Start your prayer time by saying, thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you that you are my provider. Thank you that you are my peace. Even when I don't feel like it and my world is crumbling, thank you that you are enough. Thank you that you hear me. Thank you for who you are. And start naming who he is. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And you fight for me. Thank you for who you are. Tell God thank you for what you've done for me. After you spend time praising just who he is, with no agenda, move into what he's done for you. Thank you, God, that you woke me up this morning on time, hopefully. If not, pray as you're getting your pants on. Run out the door. Thank you, God, that you have given me breath in my lungs today. Thank you that you've provided a home and a bed for me to sleep in. Thank you for my, my awesome car or my bicycle or my two legs. Thank you, God, for what you have done in me. Thank you for transforming me from the inside out. Then you can move on and say, thank you, God, for when you have helped me. Thank you, God, for that time when I didn't know what to do and you made the way very clear for me. 
Thank you, God, for when I was lost and you found me. Thank you, God, for when I couldn't find my classes at camp and my friend helped me, right? Thank you for the little things and the big things of every time you've shown up and when you have done something in my life. Then move on and thank God for where he has placed you. This practice of gratitude is extremely humbling because God has placed us in different spaces and different times for his purposes. Where has God placed you? Don't like it? Thank him anyway. Thank you, God, that I'm scrubbing these toilets for these kids and my husband who has no aim. Thank you, God, for Clorox wipes. Thank you, God, that I have a washing machine. Thank you, God, that I'm at this amazing business and I'm hired and they pay me. Thank you that you've planted me here. Help me to grow your kingdom here. Where has God placed you? Wherever it is, no matter how uh, inglorious or glorious it is, thank him. Finally, thank God for how he has and how he will respond to your needs. The result of presenting your anxious thoughts and your needs and your request with thanksgiving is a peace that is beyond understanding. Practice gratitude in prayer, and it will spill over into your everyday life with people. The second thing I want you to do is to rehearse righteousness. Paul goes on to tell the brothers and sisters at Philippi, he says, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard or seen in me, put it into practice. Put it into practice. And this is the second promise in the very same block of text, and the God of peace will be with you. When my son was little, he struggled with anxiety, especially at bedtime. Panic attacks, fear. So we began to memorize this passage. And to help, I made a little sign. Went on my computer and I said, okay, what is something that is true? Well, Jesus is true. Okay, cool. Took a picture of Jesus and I put it on the piece of paper. I said, okay, buddy, tell me something that's noble. Noble, what's noble? Well, noble is when you're, you're kind to somebody and you open the door for somebody. Okay, put that there. What's pure? God's love. Okay, take a picture. We're going to put it right there. By the end of this, we created a collage that any time at night he felt anxious, he could pick up this laminated piece of paper with the verse on it and rehearse in his mind what things were true and noble and right and pure and lovely and praiseworthy and excellent. And over time, his anxiety began to ease because he practiced rehearsing righteousness. Practice or rehearse the righteousness of God what he has done, what he will do. Rehearse when you see those closest to you being admirable. 
Rehearse when you see somebody doing something kind. Do it, play it over and over in your mind. Man, that was really admirable. That was really kind. When somebody does something with excellent for Jesus, rehearse it in your mind. Think about why it was so wonderful and think about how God had set everything up right in the right way. Rehearse it over and over again so that you can see the righteousness of God in every area of your life. And I tell you that you will continue to pour out gratitude to God as you rehearse the righteousness of God. And it will give you a peace that surpasses all understanding. It will build a garrison around your heart and mind so that when the enemy comes in and begins to tell you you don't have enough, you're not enough, or anything around you is not enough, you can say, no, 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 no. My God, my God has shown me things that are pure and true and noble and excellent and praiseworthy. You see, enough is never enough if you don't trust. But God provides. So practice contentment. Practice it. Number three today, what you prioritize will focus you. One of my favorite albums of the year is by rapper Andy Minio. And he's got a song called Priorities. He raps, I want 100% from God, but only want to give him a quarter of mine. I grabbed my phone when I woke up this morning, got to reorder my priorities. I need God in my life because I don't be talking enough. I give a call when I'm stuck, not when I'm all the way up. I think he call him a bluff. I said, I got no time for him. We make things for the time we love. Tell me, what are your priorities? Jesus said it better. He said, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food. And the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father provides for them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spend yet. I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. What you prioritize will focus you. What you prioritize will focus you. When you prioritize God first, you don't let your wants drive you anymore. God orders your day. You don't let other people derail you. God orders your relationships. Focus on his kingdom for yourself. Say to God in the morning, what can I do for you today? Jesus, what can I do for you today? What can I do in this moment? What can I do for you today? And when you look at others, stop looking at other people for what you can get out of them. Well, what can my spouse do for me today? What, what can this person do for me today? Look at every single person and ask, what does he or she need to enter into or grow in Jesus' kingdom today. 
And how can I help get them there? What is it that they need? What is going to serve that person the best to get them closer to God or to even get them into the kingdom in the first place? Be kingdom-minded. Focus on his righteousness. He is enough. He's got you. He knows what you need. And since he is enough, I am enough. I don't have to chase perfection because he's perfect. I don't have to chase or do or try harder. He's enough. I don't need bigger or better or faster or more. He's enough. But enough is never enough if you don't trust. God provides. Prioritize his kingdom. So how do you practice contentment this morning? You pursue God. Read the word of God. Here's a phrase I want you to remember. Word before world. Before you step into your world for the day, step into the word. Word before world. Don't let the cares of this life, don't let the morning rush drive you away from God. No, put the word before the world and pray with thanksgiving. Pursue God. Practice contentment. Be grateful and rehearse righteousness. Prioritize his kingdom. Put God first. Give him your affection and attention and obedience. February 12th of 1973, after being issued civilian clothing from the Vietnamese, Curtis and his fellow POWs made a solemn and dignified trip to the C-141 transport plane that would take them out of Vietnam. Seven and a half years he spent confined in that camp away from his wife and his toddler. The same month, he saw family for the first time since leaving Vietnam in 1965. His son, who had been a toddler when he left, was about to turn 15 years old. His wife had raised the boy, and they had made it through this time with prayer and love and hope, and they were a family again. Captain Curtis found contentment in the midst of the most grave circumstances because his faith was in God. He says this, I was a Christian before I got there. That was a source of strength. They could kill me. They could keep me in that hole. They could starve me. They could beat me. But I knew the rest of the story. So I took a lot of comfort knowing my ultimate destination. I hope that you can take the same comfort. I pray to God that war would cease and peace would come and that men and women would learn war no more. I pray for that. I also pray that you would know your ultimate destination no matter the circumstances that come in and out of your life. Do you know your ultimate destination? I can tell you with all factuality, that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. It is the only way to God. You absolutely need Jesus Christ and the cross and his ultimate sacrifice for your life. 
without a relationship with Christ, Paul and Captain Curtis and you and I will never trust that God is enough. Do you know him? Because I would love to introduce you to him today. I want to pray with you to put your faith in Jesus as the way to contentment now and in the future. If you're here this morning and you don't have a real relationship with Jesus, would you pray with me? And I'll make the introduction. Father, my brother or sister need you. They need you, Jesus. They need to know the sacrifice that you made was right for them. So right now, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you confirm on them their need for you and your call on their life? Father, I pray that they would say yes to you right now. Father, I thank you for who you are, that you are more than enough for our sin and shame, and that you have washed us clean. Father, thank you. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I would love to get in touch with you this week. It's through a text. It's pretty easy. You can snap the QR code on the screen or you can text that's me to 94,000. If you're listening online, please still text. You don't have to be in person to be a part. We'd love to have you here. But we want to connect with you. Maybe this morning you're saying, man, I've let the cares of this life and I've let my discontentment drive me to pursue things that are not of God, and I've allowed my commitment to Jesus to be overtaken by my pursuit and my practices and my priorities, and I don't feel content anymore, and I don't have any joy anymore. If that's you, you can reconnect to God right now. Right now, it's not hard. He loves you. Hear me say this. The Father loves you no matter how far you've gone. It's never too far, and he's always enough to bring you home. Maybe you haven't felt a real connection with God in some time. This morning, I would love to pray with you and reconnect you with God. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I'm coming home. I'm back. I'm back to where I belong. I want to be centered in you. I want to be found in you. I want to know my ultimate destination and be sure of that so that I can walk through life knowing that you're enough. Thank you that when I say, I'm back, you hear me. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I would also like to connect with you. It's not a huge commitment, and all it takes is a text. Text, that's me to 94,000. Sorry, text, I'm back to 94,000, or scan that QR code. And we'd love to connect with you. We are also getting ready to launch our groups coming up very shortly. If you would like to sign up for Women of Hope or Men of Hope, we would love to get you connected. We have an event coming up for Women of Hope very soon, um, and we're going to have a leftovers party. So uh, on Black Friday, we're going to gather together and take all of the leftover desserts and appetizers from Thanksgiving, and we're going to have our own little party uh, on Black Friday and just come together and eat some good stuff and get rid of our leftovers and uh, 
connect with one another. So if you'd like to be a part of that, I would love to have you there. You can go online and sign up, um, and they will take care of everything. Men of Hope will have some events coming up very soon as well. Guys, thank you so much for coming, for hearing the word and being a part of Hope Church. We challenge you next week as we continue this series to please invite your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, especially the ones you don't like because God can change anybody. <laughs> invite people, bring them. As we begin to roll into, dare I say, Christmas, it's coming. So please, please invite people. Thank you so much, and we will see you next week. We hope you found today's message both helpful and inspiring. Hope Church meets every Sunday at 10 a.m. in Seaford, Delaware at the Seaford Senior High School Auditorium. If you would like more information, you can find it at www.hopedelmarva.com. That's hope, B-E-L-M-A-R-V-A.com. Thanks for listening.